So uh, two quick administrative matters, and then we'll we'll jump in. Um, I think most of you were here when I mentioned this, but uh, so we're gonna we're gonna finish the final couple of verses of Colossians today, Lord willing. And then um, what we're going to do uh, next week, we'll do the overview of the whole book of Colossians. So if you've missed some of this, um, I'll try to do the uh, uh, whole message where we touch on all the major parts of the book so that you walk away with a, a hopefully a good understanding of what the book of Colossians is about. And um, and we'll we'll land the plane safely. Um, our fall semester for our Bible Institute is going to start in September. And uh, Don Dietrich will continue his study of the book of Psalms. So um, if you're looking for uh, a change or something new from what we've done in here, I would commend that to you. Uh, I'm going to start in early September the book of First Timothy. And there's a there's a thought behind this. Um, essentially, one of the reasons I want to talk about First Timothy is there is a growing assault on an erosion of biblical complementarity. And if you're not familiar with that term, complementarity refers to the design that God has for men and women in the family and in the church and in society. And uh, those are those are good roles. Those are God designed roles. And uh, every Christian ought to be uh, knowledgeable of that and, and seeking to live those things out insofar as they're involved uh, in those those um, facets of society. And, uh, and yet even within the church, we see lots happening to morph that and change that. So First uh, Timothy really addresses that topic more than anything else. And we, we won't just talk about that. That was one of the reasons I wanted to go to First Timothy and uh, just talk about what, what, is it, what does it mean to be a man or a woman? What, what does it mean to be a husband or a wife? Uh, what does it mean to have um, leadership in the church? Uh, what does it look like? Uh, in terms of how we ought to be contributing to society as the men and women that God have made us, and uh, and then and then challenges to that. You know, what do we think about? Um, what do we think about, uh, for example, um, uh, redefinitions of marriage? What, what do we think about redefinitions of roles in the home and in the church? Uh, what do we think about? You know, that that eight-year-old boy and says to his mom, "Mom, I've never felt like I fit in. Maybe I'm a girl." Um, and, and we don't want to talk about that in a, in a, in a scoffing way, in a mocking way, and just say, oh, that's, that, that, that's, that shouldn't be. I mean, th- there are young people and there are families that are struggling with those very things. There are school teachers that are struggling with students just like that. Uh, there are college students that are genuinely feeling like they don't fit in, uh, that for some reason th- their emotions don't match their biology. And, and so who's going to help them to know how to think about that if it's not the church? Um, because God made us and, and, and therefore he's the one to best help us to know, well, what do we do when things like that happen? So anyway, lots of contemporary issues that I think make a study of First Timothy very relevant. So we'll be talking about that starting in September. And then my, my, my I'm really excited about this. On Monday night, starting on September 13th, you should have read about this and heard this last weekend, uh, we're going to do a how to read and interpret the Bible class. And this is a class. I mean, this is like you're going to have homework, you're going to have a textbook, because uh, you don't get better at anything in life by just sitting back and listening to a lecture on it. You get better by actually getting into the Bible and reading it and practicing it and, and honing a skill so we're going to do that. If you've always wanted to learn how to read and study the Bible, this is for you. Or maybe maybe you just say, hey, I want to get better. Um, and uh, we have brought in the all-star team. Well, all-star team. 
that sounds arrogant. Um, we, we, we tried to pull together uh, a number of our teachers to do this. So uh, you guys know David Gibson, uh, our, our missionary. Uh, he's going to be teaching on how to read the narrative portions of Scripture. Uh, Pastor Terry is going to talk. Uh, he's going to do some lectures there. I'm going to be doing some teaching. Uh, Lee Slaughter is going to do some teaching. So we're all working together to try to make this class uh, as, as helpful as it can be. So that will start on Monday night, uh, September the 13th, I think it is. So uh, you'll hear more about that, be able to sign up and get your books and whatnot. But um, be thinking about that. We'd love to have as many of you a part of that as we can. So with that in mind, uh, let's turn to Colossians now. And uh, we can uh, we can start the PowerPoint now, uh, gentlemen, on the, the Zoom there in the back. Let me start this here. <clears throat> All right, there we go. Okay, everybody see that? Okay, so uh, we're, we're studying Colossians. We're almost done. And what, what would you say, for those of you that have been here for a while, what is the book of Colossians about? What's the book of Colossians about? Yeah, Christ is first. And we say that and you think, well, that, that's something you learn in, in the preschool Sunday school class, right? You know, Jesus is the best. And, 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 and that's true. And what Colossians is doing is Colossians is giving us an adult perspective on that. Jesus is first because he's the son of God. Jesus is first because he made the universe and he runs it today. Uh, Jesus is first because he left the throne of his father, took on a human nature and came and lived and died and rose again in our place to reconcile us to God. And he was the first one to rise from the dead. And, and so Paul launches in this book. To, to make this case that there is no one higher or better or greater or more worthy of our worship and allegiance than Jesus. And, and he just, he just launches into that right out of the chap, the first chapter. And the reason he's doing that is, is not just to say, Oh, wow, Jesus isn't he neat, but to argue, if you just want to look with me, uh, if you have your Bible open there to Colossians, uh, really the theme verse of the whole book is chapter one. Verse 18, he is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why? So that he himself would come to have first place in everything. You say, what does it mean to be a Christian? Here it is. Jesus is first place in every area of your life. That's it. That's what it means. Uh, he has the first allegiance and influence in your marriage in your work, with your kids, what you watch on Netflix, what you spend your time and money on. And, and not like some like restrictive thing, like Jesus is always, you know, leaning over my, you know, looking over my shoulder and making sure I don't, you know, get out of line. But no, no, this is like, this is like Jesus comes and offers himself so that we can be reconciled to God. And, and we are so overwhelmed by the fact that God would desire a relationship with us and would adopt us into his family, th that to make Jesus first place is not a burden, uh, but it's really a privilege and a blessing. It, it brings life into alignment. Uh, what, what better way to go through life than with the Son of God at your side? Guiding and directing your steps and, and motivating your actions and, and giving you wisdom for each situation. And uh, I don't know, have you tried the world's way? Have you tried that? 
You know, we all tried that for a little while and all of us are still distracted by it occasionally now. And, and, and all it brings is, is heartache, hurt, and hardship, right? So making Christ first place is a blessing. And uh, it's, it's as we would make him king and Lord over every area of our life that so much of what God has for us comes into focus. Um, so that, that's, that's sort of in a nutshell what it's about. Uh, now, the occasion for the letter, you may remember, was that this, this early church in, uh, in Colossians, in the city of Colossae, which is kind of on the west side of what is the country of Turkey today, the occasion for the letter was Paul had heard a report that there was some false teaching that had infiltrated this church. And uh, they're saying things like this. You have to go back and keep the Old Testament Jewish ceremonial laws. Or you have to deny yourself any comfort or pleasure in life. In fact, you need to abuse your body as a means to attaining spiritual maturity. Um, they were involved in worshiping angels, saying that, that uh, they developed this whole heretical angelology and how angels were this uh, uh, wrong, it was a wrong doctrine on how angels were a part of the Christian life. And all sorts of things. You can read, read about that in chapter 2. So Paul's approach to this is to knock it in and say, you know what, you need to knock it off with the angels. You know, you, you just need to see that you're not under the Old Testament law anymore. Okay, just stop it. Just don't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't come in rebuking them for that, at least right away. What he does is he comes in and he says, if you have Jesus, and this is who Jesus is, and this is what he's done, and you're in him, and he's in you, why would you think you need anything else other than him in your walk with God? So, so you've heard me say this before, and, and I'm sorry. I'm, I like to repeat some of my stories because they make a point. So, so let's say that, uh, that my son Eric back there and my daughter Amy, uh, who, are, who are carnivores, um, let's say that, that I say to them, hey, guys, we're going to go to Hoff Brown. Tonight for dinner. Now you see them salivating right there because that's one of their favorite things to do. We're going to go to Hofbrau, and uh, and and my son Zippy, who who comes in a small package, but uh, but that's not true of his appetite. Um, you know, he he orders. What would you get? What kind of steak would you get? Would you get like the ribeye or the New York or T-bone or? It would be a big steak, though, right? Okay, so he's like, he's not there. So big steak, right? So so he just annihilates that thing, and then, you know, the waitress comes. Would you like dessert? Oh, yeah, you know, and we got brownies and cookies and whatever else going on here. And we just and we just kind of we just kind of do one of these walking out of the parking lot, and we're just, you know, full to the gills, and life is good, and we've had our steak. And if you're a vegetarian, I really don't mean to offend you. I just, this is what we do in the Palmer family. But anyway, so so we're going out here, and... um uh, and, and we walk out to the minivan and we look across Lake Granberry and we see the golden arches. You know, the, the frozen arches, right? And, and at that moment, we, we, you know, some cold chicken McNuggets just wouldn't appeal to you much, would they? Right? So, and see, that's the argument of Colossians is if, if you have known the better relationship with Christ, the superior relationship with Jesus who has first place, you're not going to be attracted to other distractions to true Christianity, like some of the things that the Colossians were dealing with in the heresy there. 
So let's let's revel in our, our, our relationship with Christ and our satisfaction with him will keep us from being attracted and tempted by things that don't actually help us in a walk with God. Okay, does that work? So anyway, so uh, let's let me show you where we're at. Turn all the way to the end of the book to chapter four. And uh, so we've talked about this. Uh, as he's come into the second part of the book, talking about who Christ is and, and what he's done. And so then he says things like this. Set your focus on things above, right? If, if Christ is where the action is, don't get distracted by what's going on in the world. Stay focused on the things that Christ is and cares about. And that translates into some pursuits. And you'll remember these from a few weeks ago. Look at this. He says, in light of who Christ is and your relationship with him, pursue a life of personal purity. In other words, make Christ first place in your personal life. Let Jesus have authority over the things that happen in your heart and things that happen when nobody is looking and how you spend your time and money and and what you entertain yourself with. That that life of personal purity in, in terms of who you are as a person. Next, he says, pursue a life of relational harmony. Make Christ first place in your relationships. Uh, let Jesus influence how you do friendships and marriage and parenting and, and uh, uh, friends at work and whatnot, uh, how we do relationships at church. And then thirdly there, pursue a life of family faithfulness. Let Jesus influence, for those of us uh, that, that are married and have children, Jesus ought to shape how we do our homes. So he talks about that in verses 18 to 21. Then he says, pursue a life of vocational integrity. Make Jesus first place in your workplace, whether you're a school teacher or whether you uh, um, work in an office or, you know, you're putting cement parking lots in in the back lot or, you know, whatever you're doing, make Jesus to have influence in that and, and leadership in that. And then we get to chapter four. This is where we left off last time. And we called these the bookends of the book of Colossians because it's where the book starts and where it ends. Chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Um, If we're going to make Jesus first place in life, that's the point of the book, what do we have to do? We have to spend time with him. So that's why the book so emphasizes prayer because prayer is how we keep Jesus in line of first place in our life. So it starts with prayer. It ends with prayer. We saw that. Uh, and then in chapter 4, verse 5, he, he calls us to engage wisely with unbelievers, to let our speech be always with grace. You know, can we just say this? We're not going to offend people to Jesus. We're not going to do that. Now, sometimes people are offended by the Christian message. We understand that. But, but we, we should never set out to come across in an offensive way or in a way that's disrespectful. Um, well, that's what he's arguing here is if Christ is first place and we want everybody to know him, then we need to think wisely about how we relate to people who still need a relationship with Jesus to make sure that our, our speech is seasoned uh, with uh, grace, like being seasoned with salt so that we know how to respond to each person, to conduct ourselves with wisdom toward others and make the most of those opportunities. Okay, so that leads us to the last section of the book. So let's look at it here. Look at chapter four, verse seven. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information. Verse eight, 
For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances. That, that helps us, right? So Tychicus is the one who's going back to Colossae and bringing a report on what's going on with, with Paul. Uh, verse 9, he says, and he may, he may encourage your hearts. Verse 9, and with him, Onesimus. Where have we heard about Onesimus? In the book of Philemon, that's right. We'll talk about that in a moment, but we've seen him before. Our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greeting, and also Barnabas's cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, meaning they're, they're Jewish Christians. And these have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, meaning he's a Gentile uh, from Colossae, probably, um, a bond slave of Jesus sends you his greeting. And we talked about this last time. Epaphras is always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers so that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. We'll, we'll look at a map here in a moment so you can get oriented there. Um, Let's see, where are we? Verse 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the churches of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you, with, with which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. So this is a little bit of a, of a who's who. So let, let's uh, see if we can just get our, our minds around all these people, okay? Because there's several here. If you've, if you've got an outline that were available in the back there, this will help you navigate through all this, okay? So first of all, we see there in verse 7, this guy Tychicus. He's a Gentile convert to Christianity. We read that in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. He worked with Paul, and he delivered the letters, so where is when Paul is writing the letter of Colossians, do you remember where he is geographically? Where is he? What's that? You're saying it like this is a trick question. It's not a trick question. Where, where is he? He's in Rome. And what's he doing in Rome? Is he on a, a sightseeing tour? No, he's in prison. Okay, so he's not available to go just deliver the letters. So he sends Tychicus to be the one to deliver the letters. Now, there, there were four letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. We call them the prison letters or the prison epistles. Uh, do you remember what they are? Colossians is one of them. What are the other three? Ephesians? Not Galatians. Starts with Ephesians. So Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then... Philemon. Okay, yeah, they're even in order. Okay, so Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Those are the four prison letters. So Paul writes all of those while he's in prison. Guess who delivers them? Mr. Tychicus does. Okay, so he, he's the delivery boy. He, he's the uh, he, he works for the, uh, the 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 Pauline Post Office. We'll call it there, right? He's he's going to deliver the letters there. Okay, now notice it says here he's going to. Um, uh, bring you information, verse 7 says, and, and his main way he's going to do that is by bringing this letter that Paul is writing in the other three letters. We also read here about Onesimus, and this is where the book of Philemon, if you read the book of Philemon, 
uh, Philemon, you'll remember, Paul wrote to him because he had a runaway slave named Onesimus. So Onesimus worked for Philemon. He ran away and, and broke that contract with, uh, with uh, Philemon. And then Paul meets him at some point, Onesimus does, leads him to Christ. So Onesimus becomes a believer. And Paul explains, he explains all this in the book of Philemon, but he explains that he, uh, Onesimus is now a new believer. And he says, hey, you got to go back to Philemon. It was wrong for you to leave your master. So now that you understand what it means to walk with God, part of repentance means you have to go back and make it right with Philemon. So the letter of Philemon was Paul's letter to Philemon as Onesimus, the runaway slave, came back to him and essentially asking Philemon to be gracious with him and and explaining to him that he had converted to Christianity and that his desire was to make right the situation uh, that led to his departure. So that's Onesimus, and it's interesting, we see him here uh, with Paul, he says, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. So that probably means that Onesimus was either from Colossae or at least from that region. And um, so he's going to be coming back with Tychicus with this letter. And and perhaps uh, it makes sense, right? Because Paul wrote Philemon, the letter sent it back with Onesimus to Philemon. And uh, so we see Tychicus and Onesimus leaving Paul and delivering these letters together. Notice a third uh, person mentioned here, Aristarchus. He was a Jewish convert from Thessalonica. Again, we can go back to Acts 20, uh, verse 4 and following, and we read about him there. He worked with Paul. And so we read here in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greeting. So what does that tell us about Mr. Aristarchus? Where is he? He's in jail, too. So uh, the circumstances surrounding that are, are not clear, but he ends up um, in prison like Paul as well. So he sends his greetings. And then we also have uh, John Mark, as he's called, the cousin of Barnabas. And that's the Barnabas um, that we know uh, from the book of Acts. And you'll remember Mark was alienated from Paul. We can read about that. Remember, there was the the argument and um, and Paul parted ways and um, Mark went uh, the opposite way of Paul. And so at some point they, they reconcile later on. And uh, this is this is one of those little tidbits, because. Uh, we recognize here, as he says, you look at verse 10, Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you see, received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So, so Paul and John Mark reconciled at some point since the situation that happened in Acts 12 to 15 that led to their, uh, their breakup uh, in terms of working together for ministry. Um, this is also likely the John Mark who authored the, uh, the gospel, the gospel of Mark. Uh, then he mentions Jesus, who is known as Justice, and uh, there's a question mark there because we don't know anything about him. So uh, he was uh, someone that Paul knew, and he mentions here um, that uh, these are all fellow workers for the kingdom of God. So we know that they were they were Jewish because they are uh, what are called workers from the circumcision, meaning they, they came from, from Judaism, but they've all been an encouragement to him. Look at this. We have Epaphras who we talked about this when we first started Colossians. Epaphras may have been the founder of the Colossian church. Uh, he was from Colossae, and uh, the circumstances surrounding um, the start of the church are a little bit unclear, but it's possible that Epaphras was the main one who, who really started pulling believers together in Colossae as the gospel was spreading, 
and, uh, and, and forming that church family that Paul began then to, to minister to. So verse 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, um, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greeting, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. What, what do you notice, um, if I could digress just for a moment. So Epaphras is always laboring in his prayer. We talked about that. Prayer is work. It needs to be ongoing. What's he praying for? That's interesting here. What is he what is he praying for in terms of the Colossians? Did you catch it? They stand mature in what? What's that? In God's will. And this is interesting because the pastor, everything you could pray, he's praying. I'm praying that you would mature and stand firm and confident in the will of God. Right? Now, you can imagine why that might be the case, because if, if you have an infiltration of false teaching into your church and, and you have started the church, your concern is that they're going to do what? They're going to know what the right thing is to do versus the wrong thing. If they're going to know this is the will of God, this is not the will of God, and they're going to stand firm in what is really truly what God wants for them. So we, we see him praying. Does anything else come to mind? You've seen this before in Colossians. Where have you seen this theme before in Colossians? I know it's been a while. Do you remember how the book starts off? Paul starts off the book of Colossians by saying what? We're praying for you constantly. Remember that? And then he he actually tells the Colossians what he's praying for. He says, for this reason, since the day we've heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to, and to ask that you be filled with all the knowledge of his what? Of his will. So not only do we see prayer on the front end of the book and the back end of the book, prayer is the bookends, the book of Colossians, as we've said it. It's not just any old prayer. It's constant prayer for knowing and doing and being faithful in the will of God. And uh, I think that's very instructive, isn't it? I mean, th- that that should be one of the things we do every day. And, 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 you know, we're praying for Aunt Sally and we're praying for, you know, this need and this illness and this work situation, all those things. But But so much of Christianity is simply knowing and doing the will of God, isn't it? It's saying, you know, Ron said, you know, we pray for our nation. Yeah, we pray for our nation. It's a mess out there. How how should we as Christians ought to navigate through the mess? Well, we're praying that God would make clear his will so that we can stand firm and confident and walk in those things. So so I, I think this is this is a very um, uh, instructive example to learn from that that in our prayers, amongst everything else we pray for, that we should be praying to know and do and stand in the will of God and not be distracted. And isn't that what we saw in Psalm 1 that we read today? Well, the righteous man, what does he do? On his word, on his law, he meditates day and night. Why would the psalmist be meditating on God's word day and night? Why would he do that? So you know his will. That's right. See, see, God's will is not some 
you know, it's, it's buried in a field somewhere and we got to figure out how to go find it. The will of God is right here. And so meditation on the word coupled with prayer for faithfulness in doing the will of God is the formula for a faithful and mature walk with God. And there, there are other things. I'm not trying to oversimplify it. But that's the theme of Colossians. Pray for the will of God. Walk in the will of God. Do the will of God. And we see that modeled. Uh, what, a, what a great leader Epaphras is. You know, all of us have leadership roles, you know, uh, in different areas of life, right? Some of us are dads. Some of us lead classes. Some of us have coworkers that, that we talk to the Lord about. We, we all have leadership levels at, at some leadership responsibilities at some levels. And, and this, this is, this is exemplary leadership, I think. You want to be a faithful Christian leader. Be known as the guy who labors constantly in prayer for other people that they may know and do the will of God. I mean, that, that, that's the reputation I think we all would want to have as leaders. So Epaphras is, is a, needs to be one of our spiritual heroes, I think, in light of that. Okay, so just a reminder, a little geography lesson here. I remember Colossae is right off of what used to be a main highway and and as they as they rebuilt this part of uh the country back in Paul's day uh Hierapolis and Laodicea really became the more popular towns to go through so when he's talking about uh some of these other geographical places here um that's where we're talking about no no picture that because we're, we're going to come back in a moment so Paul's in Rome right he's over in Rome uh, Tychicus is with him. Uh, Epaphras um, uh, is par- apparently with him. Aristarchus is in prison with him. Uh, Mark is there. Jesus called Justice is there. So they're all in Rome. And so now Tychicus and Onesimus are taking these letters, and they're going to go back to this region over here, which is Turkey today. It was known as uh, part of Asia or Asia Minor in the day of Paul. So they're going to go back and they're going to deliver letters to Ephesus and to Colossae, as well as to, Philippi, uh, to the Philippians. And uh, but that gives us an idea of the geography here. So with that in mind, um, so look look who also is here, right? Verse fourteen, Luke, or excuse me, um, verse thirteen. For I testify for him, talking about Epaphras. Uh, that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So if we go back to the map here, um, as uh, Epaphras's, uh concern and ministry and relationships, it's not just with Colossae, the church he probably started, but with those other churches and uh, other Christians in those neighboring cities as well. Okay. Now look who else is here. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greeting. And also Demas. Uh, who's Luke, by the way? And this is not uh, Darth Vader's son. So those of you that are getting young people there in the back room are getting excited there. This is not Anakin Skywalker's son. So just don't get excited. Um, what, which Luke are we talking about here? Yeah, he was a physician. In fact, th- this is... Uh, this is the uh, one of the passages that shows us that he was a physician. But what do we know him most famously for? Yeah, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And uh, he wrote uh, Luke. And what else did he also write? 
the book of Acts. He wrote a two-volume narrative on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, leading to the establishment of his church and the gospel spreading in, in that early part of the first century. Um, so uh, in, in that capacity, he, he was a historian, actually, but his, uh, his real vocation apparently was he was a doctor. We also have uh, Demas. Uh, he's a faithful believer who later followed, who left Paul. Um, uh, he's a faithful believer who later left Paul and the ministry. In fact, we read a very sad uh, commentary on what happens right here. Things are going well. But by the time we get to Second Timothy, which is a book that happens probably about 10 plus years later, uh, he has abandoned uh, Paul and uh, the ministry itself. So there's a very sad uh, biography there. He also mentions Nympha, that's that's a lady, and the church that is in her house. We don't know where that is, uh, maybe somewhere in that area. Um, possibly Laodicea is where um, that church meets in her home. Interesting, a footnote. We see this with Philippians as well. These godly ladies that were key parts of the establishment of local churches in the first century. And uh, so we praise the Lord for godly ladies in that regard. But but just look here. Again, we got Colossae, Laodicea, uh, Philadelphia. There's Ephesus over near the coast. Um, some of these you recognize. These are some of the churches from uh, Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to seven churches. So uh, Smyrna and Sardis, um, Miletus. So uh, you get the idea there where some of these folks are, are located. Interesting. Um, if you go to Laodicea today, I've never been there. But uh, you can see the ruins of the church in Laodicea. And a uh, little, little show and tell here. Isn't that beautiful? Um, I mean, obviously it was beautiful before it was ruined, but I mean, just the column work there and, and whatnot. Um, and so if, if you've been to uh, Israel or you've been to places where there have been uh, Greek uh, architectural influence and later Roman architectural influence, you'll recognize some of the the architecture here. Okay, so uh, so Nympha and believers that mean the house of Laodicea. So this would have been part of the remains of the original city of Laodicea. Um, and then Archippus, uh, there's an interesting conjecture that uh, he's actually the son of Philemon. And you remember Philemon is the one who had the runaway slave, Onesimus. And it's interesting, Ar- Archippus gets the specific counsel. Look at this, verse 17, say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Okay, so he gave some specific instructions there for Archippus regarding his faith and his ministry. So what do we learn from all of this? We learn that in a a short letter of about four chapters, almost one-eighth, and you you could argue maybe, maybe, maybe even more than that, is dedicated to people. That Paul is spending time addressing people by name, commending people that he represents to the church at Colossians, giving instruction, giving guidance, giving encouragement. And this reminds us that part of making Christ first place is prioritizing relationships with other people in our life. Um, you know, it's easy to get caught up in programs and studies and learning And those are all good. But all of Christianity filters down to the fact that we were made 
for a relationship with God, and then we were made for a relationship with other people. And our mission on earth as Christians is to love people, to love our neighbor, to share the gospel with them, to do good for their benefit, and, and to see other people come to trust Christ as we have. And, and so I just, I, this is such a, in a, I don't know, maybe I'm old school, but, but, but in a, as I'm looking out here and I see that relationships are suffering, um, even the way that we communicate today can be very, very impersonal. I mean, when I do marriage counseling and pre-marriage counseling, it's like, hey, you know, when you have a fight with your significant other, don't resolve it over text. That's not what texts were invented for, right? You'll go talk to the person. You'll look, like, look them in the eye and stuff. And Because we, we struggle to know how to do relationships. And in the midst of busyness and opportunity, this is a good reminder that ministry must always terminate in some way on relationships with other people. Because that's why we're here, is for the benefit of other people. Okay. Now, interesting. Let, let, let's land the plane here. Did you notice this verse 16? When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and you, for your part, read my letter um, from Laodicea. And and uh, so he's basically saying, you know, read these other letters. And um, that reminds us that Paul is writing multiple letters from prison. And you say, well, we don't have a letter that's coming from uh, the Laodice, you know, the letter from, apparently there was a letter to the Laodiceans, but then he also says, read the letter to Colossians to Laodicea, meaning these letters were meant to circulate through the churches. They weren't just meant for the church that they were addressed to. In other words, the letter to Philippians was designed to help the Philippians, but it was meant to be read in other churches as well. And you know what? Here we are 2,000 years later. What are we doing? Grace Bible Church, Granbury, we're reading the letters of Paul because they were meant to be circulated. Now, you're saying, where's the, the letter to the Laodiceans? Well, you probably know this. The earliest manuscripts of the letter we have known as Ephesians, and, and you can check this later on if you want. We don't have time to look it up right now. But if you go back in your Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see a little footnote in your Bible. Because the Ephesians 1.1 says to the saints who are in Ephesus, that's what your Bible says, but the earliest manuscripts actually have a blank there. It's to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so the letter to Ephesians probably originally was a generic letter that was sent to the Laodiceans, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, to the Philippians, and it circulated. In that area. And at some point, someone made a copy of it. They kept it at Ephesus, and so they wrote Ephesus at the top. Um, but initially, originally, it was probably a circular letter that was not meant specifically for the, the Ephesians in particular, but to churches in that region as well. So that's what he's saying here is read these letters, let them circulate. And then one final thing look at verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. And that just reminds us of the value of personal communication. Uh, I, I'm, I don't want to beat the pulpit on this because it's, it's really just an example. But what an example to follow that, that the foremost apostle would write a letter in his own hand to this little no-name church in Colossae. And 
I think that tells, tells us that Paul valued personal communication with other Christians. And I think that's something we can learn from, that, that, that we would put a premium not just on relationships, but on personal communication with other people. That's what builds the church. That's what strengthens the, the bonds of friendship that allow us to be more effective in our ministry. And as, we're, as we've learned in this letter, it's what honors Christ and, and furthers his, his gospel in the world. So let's learn from that. Okay, put a comment in your notes. Next week, we'll do the jet tour of the book of Colossians. You're not going to want to miss that. And uh, thanks for uh, your attention this morning. Let me, let me pray. Uh, Father, we, we want to follow these examples that we've read today, that making Christ first place in our life means that we value personal relationships, that we value personal communication, and that we strive um, to put people um, and, and ministry to them in, in the foremost of our mind. We, 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 we've said it before, it's so important that we remember that people are the only thing we can take with us to heaven. And so we value relationships, we want to do good in this world, we want to love neighbor, and especially we, we want to help people know how they can avoid eternal suffering uh, and how they can be reconciled to God through the person of Jesus and become a part of his family. Uh, so, so remind us of these things and, and just, just burn these things in our hearts that what we've read today will guide and direct how we live and what we prioritize. And um, we want to be faithful. Father, especially for the people that you have put in our lives. So uh, we pray for opportunities. We pray for faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.